0: Tandem Nomads, episode 104.
1: You know, just because I started to put my thoughts out there, it generated this avalanche of consequences that are still happening nowadays. And this is, you know, every time that somebody says, listen, I have this big idea. I'm like, the only way for you to make sure that this idea is viable, put it out there and see what the reaction is.
0: Hello Nomad Nation, welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show where you can find great inspiration and tips to build your portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is Emel Deregi. I am a business and marketing coach and your host in Tandem Nomads. I am so happy to bring to you our guest today because he is a very, very special guy, a star in his field, but also an expert partner who decided to move abroad and follow his wife on the move. I really wanted to have Fabio on the show for many reasons. First of all, for his expertise and his story of how he started his business from scratch. So you will see he has a very, very inspiring story to share of how he started his business that I think will be super useful to all of you Nomad Nation. But also as he is specialized in helping designers and architects and consultants in general who have this challenge to get a client to sign a project before you show them anything. So he will share with you some great tips there. And for all of you moms, you will see at the end of this interview, he will be sharing with you some great, great messages of what he strongly believes in. As an expert partner himself, although he's a guy, he really has such an empathy for all the women out there. And I loved the messages he shared out there for you too. So let's jump in. Fabio, are you ready for the ride?
1: I'm I'm super ready.
0: So Fabio says of himself to be an entrepreneur, designer, teacher, crossfitter, wannabe comedian with a thing for drums and motorcycles. (laughs) Did (laughs) your research. (laughs) Yeah, but Here is what he does. He's a consultant who helps designers turn their prospects into customers much faster and manage their client projects more efficiently. He's also the co-founder of the D2 Conferences, which is the largest gatherings of architectural visualization artists in the world. And he's also a YouTuber. You can find him on YouTube with the channel Fabio Pelvelli, and you will die of laughing. It's hilarious. It's great. And even if you're not an architect, you learn some great stuff there. We'll talk about it today. And by the way, he says that his wife will not get pregnant only if he gets 1 million subscribers. (laughs) So that sums up who you are, right, Fabio?
1: Yes. (laughs) Very well done.
0: So thank you so much, Fabio, for coming and sharing your story with us today.
1: I'm very happy. I'm honored and humbled that you decided to to interview me.
0: I am so glad to have you here. And Nomad Nation, the reason I asked Fabio to join us today is because he is an expat partner who gave up his initial career plans to be able to move from a country to another with his wife. So Fabio, tell us a little bit about how that started, how that journey of going abroad with your wife started.
1: Okay. I met my wife in 2009 in uh, London. We in Met at a bus stop. It's a very romantic story, but that's maybe for another show. And we decided to move together to Vienna, even though she thought, you know, that I was crazy because I could not speak the language and I did not have anything to do in the specific in Vienna. And when she got the job about eight years later, I basically started to work on my business so that I could transition this to an online business so that I could move with her around.
0: So how did you make that conclusion? Because not everybody thinks about it right away. How did you know that you would need to start a business in order to be able to move from a country to another?
1: Well, uh, put it this way. um, My wife and I have a seven years gap. And in that time, I've had two relationships, which were at the same time, long distance. And also, you know, one of the People moved because of the other. In the previous case, it was always the girl coming to stay with me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without getting too much into the specific, basically what happened is that I kind of knew what I needed when we were going to make the move. So basically, I started to think of creative ways that I could have taken what I was doing in Vienna to kind of bring it with me here in Tel Aviv so that I could continue doing it.
0: Okay, so you were in London, and then you moved to Vienna to yes. join your wife. And with your wife, now you're moved to Israel. Yes. And who knows where you'll be in a year or a couple of years. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. So, so tell us what you did from London to Vienna, and then from Vienna to Israel.
1: Okay, so in, uh, in Vienna, I managed to get inside the School of Architecture. I did a Master in Building Engineering which was part of the architecture school. There, I was actually really lucky because I met some people that then ended up influencing who I became later on. One of them is Dr. O. It's a little bit complicated to pronounce his name, but he's basically a um, a researcher in the field of innovation. And when we talk about innovation, there's always a business component that goes with innovation. Which, you know, we're not going to get into that right now, but it was a very important thing that actually made me understand what you need to do in order to monetize with whatever it is that you're doing. So that was a very important thing that happened in my career. And when I got my first job, since I was basically, quote unquote, an immigrant, I was hired at the lowest wage that a person could get doing the job that I was doing, which was a design job. But nevertheless, it wasn't very well paid. And I was a person coming from England with a baggage of skills that made me too qualified for the job that I was doing. But I had to make ends meet. I decided to quit my life in London because of my wife. So, you know, I had to compromise in a way. But that put me in a position where at the end of the day or during the weekends, I would wrap my head around the idea of like, how can I make more money? And that's when I actually started to create my side business, which then became my main business. So basically, what I did, I took all the skills that I had and I started to teach students coming from at that time all over Europe and then later on in the years from all over the world. Because then these small workshops of, say, 15 to 20 people ended up becoming this 400 plus people conference.
0: Wow. Okay, okay. One second, one second here. So you were teaching what?
1: I was teaching 3D modeling. Okay. I was teaching like uh, compositing, which is, you know, done with software like, say, Photoshop, or you can use After Effects. You can use all these tools that us designers like to work with.
0: All right. So you were teaching, helping designers and and 3D and everything. And that teaching slowly, slowly led you to this huge conference that happens. It's two days conference that happens in Vienna. And I think you're thinking of expanding now. And that's called the D2 Conferences. Uh, Tell us a little more about these conferences.
1: So basically the conference really started because at that time in Vienna, there was no market for what I like to do. So I knew a software retailer and I told him, look, what if we try to invite people that do this kind of job? Because at that time, it was the very beginning of the industry in Austria. In Austria, it's actually, despite what everybody thinks, a very challenging market because it's surrounded by, what do you want to call them, upcoming economies like Czech Republic, Slovakia, uh, Hungary, which are, tendentially speaking, countries where people earn less. So they're willing to do the same job that uh, somebody would do in Vienna for, say, a fourth of the price. So, you know, that made the whole industry in Austria very competitive and very difficult at the same time. Mm. Also, because when somebody would do something right, say a company, a specific company in Vienna, they would not open up to the other companies because they would try to keep their secrets Mm -hmm. in-house. So there was no conversation. There was no... Chance to get any information, so I said, you know what? That's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the best people in the field. I'm going to bring them to Vienna, and they're going to tell us everything.
0: Wow. Okay, so I want to highlight that. one thing about. Wow, that's amazing, and I want to highlight to you, Namadisho, who are listening here. That for me, the most important part of what you said or what has. Brought your business to where you are. You you saw you found a need in helping designers, and you are teaching them in getting better at it, etc. But then you found a bigger gap in the market, which was the lack of information and knowledge, and you decided to tackle it and start this conference. And I think that's where great business ideas come: is when they solve a problem. So whoever is thinking of starting a business. Think about what problem you really, really want to solve. So I think that's the greatest insight. So you saw this problem and you said, okay, I'll do it. And you started it. And today it's a 400, I think, plus conference. Uh, Like how how did you make that happen?
1: Actually, you know, to be honest with you, it was a great success. And there is a video on YouTube that shows how this played out to be. But to me, still the biggest success was the very first one. Because I remember, you know, going to the university where we organized it. Uh, We rented the room at the university. The university did not support us, the Technical University of Vienna. They saw, you know, they had a chance and they missed it. And I remember going there in the morning to open the doors and I was like, nobody's going to show up, you know? (laughs) We sold probably 10, 15 tickets, maybe 20. And, you know, some people were like, yeah, can we buy the ticket at the door? Yeah, of course. You know, it's the first time we'll try to do whatever we can. And it was super cheap, you know. And I remember that all of a sudden we started to see it was a little bit like, have you ever seen the movie about Woodstock?
0: <laughs> I did not see the movie, but I can imagine <laughs>
1: when the line starts to build up and I remember me going around with my phone, calling my partner, Kristen, this is getting crazy. I see people, there are people that are coming, they're coming. And we're like, that was the very first time in my life that I actually invested a consistent amount of money to make this event happen. And when it did happen, I was so proud of myself, you know, and now I look at it and I see the monster that has become, but to me, the most important part was still that first day.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So what would be your advice based on that experience to those who are listening to us who want to build something that grows so massively?
1: Well, to be honest with you, and we were discussing it already before in the warm-up. one of the things that when I did this, I did it because my focus was on the result. Money was not an objective, although, you know, as we said, the importance of money, and we'll discuss it later, it's a primary because, you know, the first thing that you need to make sure when you run a business is that you're not losing money. But at that time, I had this gut feeling and this idea that this was going to work out. Then all the rest of the puzzles would have fallen into pieces. Mm-hmm. And six years after that, it turned out that I was right.
0: Wow. That's so cool. So basically for you, it's like believe in your guts when you know you want to do something, go for it. And the other big message I see here is don't be afraid to invest. I think you invested a huge amount of money. Can you share that with us?
1: Yeah, it was about two and a half thousand euros, which, you know, you can imagine. I mean, back when you don't have any money, that's a lot of money.
0: (laughs) And you also told me about some bigger amounts that you did invest later on. Oh, yeah. Like the yeah, more you yeah. grow, the more you invest it. So it's yes, of up course, there, right?
1: Yeah, of course. And now you know these are just costs. I it's uh, I don't even see it as an investment. I just see it as you know uh, something that I have to do, and then eventually it will work out. And we started six years ago. What it used to be two and a half thousand euros this year, there. I would say you know of the money that we lose about 40,000 and altogether probably 75,000 euros that just go into the production of the event. And then eventually, you know, it comes back, but it's a leap of faith that I still have to take every single year when we start the conference.
0: Yeah, take that leap of faith. Like you said, yeah, it's not because you win once that you keep winning. So you just keep getting more comfortable in that risk and then you push the limits, you push the limits. And then you see where it takes you. So that's great. Okay, so now that you know that you're going to have to do it portably, because Vienna is such a local... So this one thing I insist a lot with expert partners, don't build something local and this is what you did and it was amazing. But you can feel now the pain that you have to travel back and forth. And I remember when I asked you what's your biggest challenge in your business, you said all the traveling, it's killing So what are your plans now? I know you're working on getting your business more portable.
1: Well, you know, to a certain extent, at the moment, I get called to go and speak at conferences. Uh, you know, I teach at university. Before we started to talk, I had to close another, let's call it deal, speaking deal, speaking in, engagement in uh In Serbia, there are people now coming to see me in Tel Aviv because I don't have the chance to go there because I'm limited in time. But I think this will be something that, you know, to a certain extent, I'll never be able to avoid. Mm -hmm. But the only difference is that now I don't have to do it. Before, like, for instance, now everything that I've set up, it's working and I don't have to go and Mm -hmm. micromanage it now i 'm just going there because people want to talk to me directly, and that's fine i'd rather do that than to have you know conversations over the internet. I get paid a premium fee, so it's also understandable from the side of my clients that they want to have a uh, a face to face meeting rather than a um, computer consultation but that's okay. you know I complain about it because you got to have something to complain about. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I still love the hustle.
0: And I like that you talked about premium price, that you do have online consultations to make your business portable, but that whoever wants the face-to-face, then you have a special price for that. And that's what makes it viable. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. So I just wanted you to tell us, this is just so amazing, so many things to dig deeper. But before we go a bit more, maybe in the business side, I want you to share a little bit about while you were doing all of this, how did that journey go with your partner? And like, what was the agreements in your relationship for you to do that? And what's happening basically on that part?
1: Okay, I'm going to sound like a hopeless romantic, and, <laughs> but you got to believe me because, you know, I, I have a very, I want to say traditional take on family, as in once you decide to be with somebody, whoever it is that you want to be with, the type of relationship that you have to build with that person is of mutual support. It is about the love, but it's also about the understanding of the fact that you are human, that you are weak as a person, and that you need somebody to help you out in your life and that you will do the same for that person. Now, some people might say, oh, that's a, such a cynical way to look at things. But uh, no, I think that the, the, the biggest commitment that I did to my wife was to tell her, look, this is who I am. If you accept me, I'll do my best to help you out and you'll do hopefully the same with me. And to be honest with you, you know, I say it every time. My wife is my rock. Without mm-hmm. her, there wouldn't be any of this. Also, because I did everything because of her.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> now I'm going to have really- my... I'm, I'm having like goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> this is so beautiful. But let me know, you're Italian, Fabio. Yes. And come on, we know, I mean, let's not generalize, but we know that the Italian culture is all about being a man, being a macho and, and you know, and being this this guy who's the strongest guy on earth. And so how did that go for you, being the man who's following his wife abroad? And what was actually, at the end of the day, what matters what was your relationship with the money and the fact that your wife was earning the money? How did you deal with that? And did you suffer from any judgments and things like that? Well, actually you see, this is a,
1: okay, probably now it's I'm going to say something that my wife is going to hate me for, but it's okay. (laughs) Uh, When I first came to Austria and I started to work, my wife was supported by her family and I was the one that worked, but I was actually really good at what I was doing. So you know, with my side job, we were actually, I was making quite a good money and I was supporting my wife as well, because at at a certain point, what she was getting as a support was very little money in comparison to what I could provide to her. And I never really had this thing of saying, you know, it's my money and you have your own money. It's there. You need it. Use it. I don't really care. I don't know, my father was like this. My dad, I remember, you know, he coming from work, my mom would have 100% authority on the uh, (laughs) bank account. We never had an issue. Why not continue the tradition? And it might be stupid. It
0: might be naive. That's fantastic.
1: You know, when when she got the job, you know, as a living as an expat, basically the prospect was that she was going to earn more money than me. And at that point, I said, look, I really don't have a problem with uh, me quitting whatever it is that I have in Vienna, because it makes sense economically. So why would I keep you from doing it? Mm. But... I know that I'm going to need to have something to do because otherwise, you know, how many video games can I possibly play during the day that are going, you know, to satisfy me? So basically I told her, I'm going to need a little bit of time to translate my business and make it portable, make it online viable for my clients. She said, not a problem. I did it. I was planning to invest maybe three years in doing this. One and a half year I did already in Vienna. So I was hoping another year and a half would do it here in Tel Aviv. But actually, after three, four months, things started to pick speed. And, you know, now we are back to the competition. <laughs> oh,
0: I see. So there is a bit of a competition there.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's just that, you know, we always. Talk shit about each other, but we do it in a loving way you know
0: Yeah, uh, I can feel it that you're in a wonderful relationship, and it's really great i'm very happy for you and your partner so okay, I you. want to talk about something real briefly about that, knowing now that you had to do that and, and you know build your portable business yeah so you're passionate about helping those people and you're, I could see it in your videos and uh, all the videos I saw from your conferences there's a real passion but Yes, like you said, when you start a business, you need to sometimes do the things you're not comfortable with. For instance, I always talk about technology, social media, doing your newsletters and things like that. They're not the fun parts, but they're the necessary parts, like managing the day-to-day business is so important for that business to grow. And if you don't love it, you still have to do it. But then what else do you business grows, then you can start delegating, but you have to do it in order to also know how to delegate it.
1: Yes, exactly. And one of the things is that, and this is basically my life motto, is that the difference between those who do and those who don't is those who do, which basically goes to explain that you can talk about an idea, you can talk about good intentions. And this is one of the things that me and my partner fight the most Because one of the things that I do all the time, if I have an idea, I present it graphically and I put it on my social media without sharing it with anybody Mm -hmm. simply because I create a sequence of reactions. Mm -hmm. And when my partners see this stuff and they don't like it, they act on it to try to fix it, Mm -hmm. which is better than to tell them, look, somebody has to do this because I'm not able to do it. So, you know, if Mm -hmm. it's an announcement that I have to do, I'm doing it, it doesn't look good, you now take care of it. So, you know, it's uh, those who have known me over the years, they describe me as a fire starter in a way. And I like this idea because, you know, it's uh, everybody can say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to open a uh, e-cigarette import-export. Okay, you have the idea, but, you know, the difference between an idea and mm-hmm. the actuation of the idea is the actuation itself. You know? So the message
0: here is don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on it. Just do it. Start first and perfect later. You have an idea, just do it, because that's the only way you will know if it would work is by doing it and then just perfecting as you go. And you know what? Perfection is actually dangerous because if you imagine if you have what you think is perfect, at the end of the day, your thought of perfection is not what people who will have to consume it think is perfect. So. So you might actually just waste time to do something that people don't want. It's better to just launch something and then there I'm is sure. No,
1: the sure... Per- perfection is the enemy of productivity.
0: Exactly. Productivity and the enemy of good, actually.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, this is something that people really have to put into their coconuts because you're going to start something with the idea that it has to be the best. It will never be the best. And even if it is the best, the moment that somebody will see it, they will find a way to make it even better. So, you know, the secret here is the speed with which you go to market. Mm -hmm. And probably market is the wrong word to use. And hopefully, you know, we're going to get to talk about this. But to me, the best thing that you can do, especially if you find yourself in a position where you don't know what to do, you know, if you're starting a business, is to just start talking about it online. Make a blog, make a YouTube video, make a YouTube channel, a Facebook page. Get the conversation going because in the worst case, you can become the curator of the conversation.
0: Exactly.
1: And that always leads to something more.
0: Amazing. This is just the quote of the show. And I really believe that you can just start doing that, sharing your message, become the curator of that topic, and it might just become something more. Which leads to the question I wanted to ask you about how you got to start your YouTube channel and what was the process that took you there?
1: Okay. So basically, in 2008, I had a fight with one of my tutors at the university. So he said to me, You know, I was making 3D models, they were beautiful models, but he said, You're just dreaming in 3D. So I went to the computer lab and I opened a blog called 3D Dreaming.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Those blog posts, they went viral in England. All of a sudden, I was like the hero of the students of architecture. So, you know, that led to other things. People getting in touch, wanted to talk to me. So, you know, this little set of blog posts became a website, which still exists nowadays. But I've been hacked way too many times by Egyptian and Russian hackers that I don't do that anymore. But it was called 3D Dreaming. During the golden times of like social media, it was probably the fifth most followed architecture blog on the wow. internet. The stuff that we were putting out was used by students all over the world for their graduations. So they would use our 3D models, our 3D. We would give them programs that they could use to generate their buildings, their beso- So we did a lot for that community. And that was basically, you know, I had people that would call me up and say, listen, I can give you this amount of money if you find somebody to work with me. And I was like, wait, what? There is actually money in doing this? And I had no idea. Plus, you know, one day I see like, you know that you have these ads on your pages, especially the old pages. And all of a sudden I was seeing this like, Five or six hundred euros a month of like Google ads coming to me, you know? They would send me a check through the uh, Google ads program in the post. And I could not believe it. I would go to the bank and I would cash out these checks of like 500 pounds back then. And that was money. Wow. You know, it was, uh, and it was nothing expected. So <laughs> I was like, uh, Yeah, about that. That's how I met my wife. (laughs) But, you know, I remember that basically during those times, I became a very big, influential social media person in the field of architecture. And that was how everything started. You know, all of a sudden I had a reach. If I would make a a blog post on Facebook, uh, 10,000 people would read it. 10,000 people, it was very easy to get like 30 people to come to Vienna to teach a workshop. When I did not have the knowledge, I would hire somebody from America, Poland, whatever. We would pay them to come and teach the workshop here. All of a sudden I started to work with like uh, the curator of the Venice Biennale, the pavilion for uh, Slovakia and Czech Republic. I worked with big shot designers. Just because I started to put my thoughts out there, it generated this avalanche of consequences that are still happening nowadays. And this is, you know, every time that somebody says, listen, I have this big idea. I'm like, the only way for you to make sure that this idea is viable, put it out there and see what the reaction is.
0: Wow, that's so cool. It just confirms what we're saying, that just do it, share your message, and that will generate what it is. And honestly, so nomad nation, check out that YouTube channel. It is uh, really great. And actually, one of the things that I I know that you have built built an expertise onto. And I know a lot of consultants are listening to us today, and and designers also, web designers, etc. Also, uh, graphic designers. And the biggest challenge I want to talk to you that I know as consultants and designers, people have is actually getting a client to make a decision and signing that client. People who make you work before even you get the check basically and sign the contract. So what's your, I know that you have had a lot of videos on that. I would love you to share your top three tips for those who are in this situation who have a business who's a consultant or a web designer or a graphic designer. How, what do you have to do to make sure that your client does not keep postponing and make you work before even the contract is signed?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, We open a Pandora box. Yeah.
0: We'll have to do a whole episode about that. But if you had to pick one main... Go to somebody else. As a graphic designer, for example, how do you show... Because usually what, here's how it works with consultants and designers. Let's give an example of Gefford Designer. In order to show that you are the right person to design their logo, you have sometimes to even show them some logos before or some directions. So how would you do that?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, the only way to engage with the client is to make sure that there is a fee paid up front. And I got to the point where I do my consultation where you have to pay 50% of the full consultation before we even meet. And, you know, this is one way to do it. And once they pay that amount of money, they'll be willing to cooperate. So say that, you know, you're working on a graphic design project and the bill is say a couple of thousand euros, get them to pay 1000 euros for them to book you. And then you'll say in three weeks, I'll have this, What I usually do with my consulting clients, I say, provide the client all the time with a timeline when you make a contract, so that they know that they have, say, one week to give you feedback. Now, the reality of thing is that even if you do give them a contract and a timeline, you'll always have to be accommodated. You cannot tell them, oh, you didn't respect the one week, now I'll have to charge you more. Don't be desirable. So, you know, it took them more than a week, Don't call them up. They already paid you. If they get back to you, tell them, okay, listen, you did not get back in the meantime. We'll have to postpone this by three days. Is that okay Mm -hmm. for you? You Make them understand that you're not there waiting for them.
0: You You know know. what I said with my clients, you have to set expectations in advance. Give a timeline and say in advance what will be the consequence if this timeline is not respected. Both ends, by the way. So that's, a, but I love that you say make people pay upfront for your services before even you present something. But how would you recommend to a designer to get the interest of that person first place?
1: Oh, well, this is something that unfortunately you gotta, you see, the thing is that in my process of choosing clients which I consult, I make a very tough selection because very often one of the issues is that you have people that are able to create a design and there are people who are able to solve problems with design. Now, if you are in this category, we wouldn't have this conversation. If you are in the other category, you are pretty much a commodity for people. And this is something that you need to accept by yourself and you need to be able to repair. Now, myself, I knew that as an artist... I was not doing anything better than other people were. And I was not helping clients with like decision-making. I was just waiting for them to tell me what to do. And that put me in a place where that guy's waiting for us. We'll tell him what to do when we feel like telling him. So, you know, it was a very depressing thing because basically you're not managing the client. The client is just pushing you around. So what happened is that When I started to make all these events and I started to talk to people, clients will come to me asking me to do projects. So all of a sudden, what I would say, I would say, okay, listen, I'm already independent economically. That's what I was telling myself. I don't need the business of this person. If they want to do business with me, these are the rules and I'm not afraid to lose the client. Mm. And what do you know? 85% of those clients, they ended up working with me they paid a higher fee that they used to pay before because, you know, I could lose them. I had no interest.
0: Dude. (laughs) But it's
1: not even about being like, you know, a person with attitude. It's just that you need to make a choice that makes sense also economically. And this is something that I said to the guys the first time that we met, go for it. Don't be afraid of failing economically, especially if you have somebody behind you that can, you know, Mm -hmm. help you pick yourself up. It comes down to the kind of relationship that you have with your partner, but this is something that you should be able to use as a leverage for yourself.
0: That's amazing what you just said. First of all, I want to pick up on this last thing about the fact that you have a partner financially, you don't need it. So make sure to work with the people you really want to work with. You don't have to work with people you don't want to work and who don't appreciate your work. So very important. We have this privilege to be able to make that choice. So that's definitely important to highlight it. But you said something really juicy before that I want to highlight. When you said, as a designer, you're either using your design to solve a problem or you're just a designer. And I think that's what the whole difference is. And we all as business owners have to think about that. And we talked about it when we started this podcast about the problem you're solving. So, if you really are solving a problem, you won't need to run after clients because you would have proven that you can do it and you won't have to be the slave of your client who will make you go back and forth endlessly. So very important. So just to finish on that, because I know a lot of our, our listeners today, Nomad Nation, I know that a lot of you are consultants and designers and jobs where you have to do sometimes some of the work before the client pays. So don't get make, set expectations before you get a contract signed where all the expectations are written down and agreed on that's very important and get paid for it and if they ask for revisions plan it in your contract so that people know so, if at the fourth revision there's extra fee for example you have three revisions the fourth I wouldn't
1: re- even go for the fourth revision I would go <laughs> probably for two revisions tops.
0: Here we go, he said it, no third revision. You have two revisions and the third one you start paying. So that's important.
1: No, because you know, like now we joke about this, but we did some experiments. Basically the more revision people have, the more flexible they become about the revision itself. So you know, once you start to revise the project once, twice, three times, four times, it becomes a cake of like things that you did in the very first time and then things that you did during the second revision. And then let's try and mix and match. And then all of a sudden you find yourself with a Frankenstein project, Mm -hmm. which was completely art directed by the client because, you know, you gave him the free revisions Mm -hmm. when actually you can tell the client there is a, uh, a very good friend of mine, Mike golden. I made a video with him. He goes with one revision and he says, you trust me. You're paying me a lot of money for the stuff that I do. If you like the work, you have one thing that you can change. Other than that, don't be afraid if the picture is beautiful already. If it is, it means that I've done my job fine. Leave me alone, move on. Also, you know, another important thing that you have to give your clients is a deadline
0: Yeah, very important. I love those two. So I hope that was helpful for you, Nomad Nation. And I wanted just one quick notion before we say goodbye. It's about when when we met, we met at a, so our spouses work together, Nomad Nation. This is how we met. And we were at a meeting for the spouses of the organization of my husband. And we were discussing, I was presenting this workshop and we're discussing some of the risks that come with moving from a country to another and the challenges of where to set up your business and, and things like that. And also the costs that come with it. Like we do have actually sometimes more, more costs for, because of building a portable business. And we have to sometimes pay more taxes because we have to follow some bilateral agreements and stuff like that. So very complicated. But when we were asked this, I loved what you said, Fabio, you have to risk it if you want the biscuit. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I stand by it.
0: I loved it. So I want to know, how do you, what's your relationship with that? When you told me it's not about, we have to, when I took you, you told me when I took the money out of the equation, my business started blooming. So tell me what you meant by that.
1: Well, you see, the thing is that, and again, people really have to put all my words into context because it's very easy to say something and completely go on with it and make mistakes Money is very important and you need to prioritize your earnings, especially if you're adding value to other people. So if you're doing the work for somebody and they're commissioning the work, they have to pay and you have to be paid the amount of money that you deserve. If you're working on your own idea, this perspective has to change because you have to understand what's more important to you. The payday at the end of the month of the day or it's important that you do whatever it is that you feel in your heart that you should be doing. Now, if you do understand that, you'll start to see that money isn't really the objective anymore, but it's more like the fuel that you put in a car, car being your company. Mm. The goal of having a company is to go somewhere. It's not to put gas in the car. You understand? They mm-hmm. like I mean, me right now. This is an analogy that I really like, uh, used by Simon Sinek. People very often make the mistake because they put into perspective what is the economical outcome. Now, I tell you, you're going to have a lot of challenges starting a business. Are you doing it because you just want to be able to buy yourself fancy stuff? I'm sorry to break it to you, but process from going to, from that place to where you think, it's actually a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And we are probably being sold a lie, which, you know, you can get everything fast in nowadays society, but no, 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 no. You know, it's a, a career can take anything. You know, it can take 10, 15 years and you might just become competent in one field. When I started this thing with YouTube, I said to myself, I want to spend three years and see what happens in three years. It took me one and a half to get to more or less where I wanted to be. I'm still far from what the big picture is. But, you know, if I planned that I was going to do what I did in six months, I would have failed. If I planned to do what I did in one year, I would have failed. If I planned to do what I wanted in two years, I would have been on the edge of failing. So, you know, you got to be careful. You got to be patient. If you are on a mission and your partner can sustain you, think of it as you going to university. Going to university will take you five years just to have a, a little bit of knowledge. So that's your goal. In five years, I want to have at least 100 people reading my blog or 100 people watching my videos, 100 people listening to my podcast, my singing, my playing guitar, whatever. Five years. Five years. And then from there, you will start questioning yourself whether Mm -hmm. it is worth or not to go on. And one of the things, sorry, I really need to add this because, you know, I've had this conversation already in the past. Moms, women that stay at home with kids, they say, I have no skills. How can I offer myself to the market? Moms represent 50% of every single market, okay? Okay. Try to see things from your perspective and don't put yourself down. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you have kids, don't think of yourself as the stay-at-home mom. Think of yourself as a person that has experience, that has been raising kids. You want to give a kid to me, it will be dead by tomorrow. So you (laughs) do have skills. And I need to say this because, you know, I very often get to talk to other expats and they tell me, you know, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. I'm pretty sure that if you start talking about your experience as being a mom, there will be somebody that will look for your insights as a mother.
0: I'm so happy you brought it up. And you know what? I already told you that in private settings. that I'm The reason why I really wanted you in the show is not only for the amazing things you've done, but despite of your success, you're so interested in altruists. And so few men actually have the empathy for what the expat moms and moms in general are going through and you're listening to that pain and you're sending this message to them. So I want to thank you, Fabio. (laughs) Thank you, because this is the cause that I'm driven for to help expat moms and moms in general believe in themselves and realize they're the most amazing people on earth and there's no much more important job than that one but it doesn't mean that your life has to stop there and you can't do it you can do it so thank you I'm so a, much you
1: know we have been going over time and I apologize because I'm very talkative but you <laughs> know people should understand that you know it's easier to think that the grass it's always green so you know my friends they say to me oh lucky you you're gonna be living the life you're gonna be having fun you're gonna do all these things and in I knew that this wasn't the case, you know, and uh, very often we are looked as the people that are having a great time. And actually, this is far from the reality. We might not have real issues as, you know, in third world countries, but we do live in a different framework, which presents also itself with certain issues.
0: Let me make sure we're talking about expat life. Like who are not in our shoes think that being an expat and especially an expat spouse or expat partner we're having the golden life and not having exactly m- no problems and just traveling the world having the time of our lives. And Far I think everybody listening here knows that it's not true and it comes with a lot of sacrifices. And I just want to make it short because we have to end this episode. We could talk again for hours. But <laughs> I loved when you were sharing that experience. And I think we have a lot of women listeners today. And I want you to realize, no Nation, that for men it is the same. Expert partners who follow have the same issues. And I love when you told us the story. When you had to go to, when you moved to Israel, I love you. Israel. Yeah. <laughs> and then the partner would ask you, "What have you been doing all day?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, do you want fun. me
1: to share that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, one of the very first days, I was supposed to go and pick up a bank card. Now, basically, on that day, I had to walk for about four hours under the sun to go and pick up this uh, credit card. So I went to the bank, the credit card was not available. Okay, so I was very disappointed and I had to walk there because my phone, for some reason, could not book a taxi. (laughs) So I tried to book a bicycle, but my Austrian credit card would not allow me to book the bicycle. So basically what was supposed to be a half an hour uh, ride with a bicycle transformed itself in a four hours walk (laughs) under the sun, it was September. Forty-one degrees. The sun was high, and I get home, and basically my arms and my face were red like a, <laughs> a, a bell pepper. And my wife came home that night, and she was like, "Ah, so have you been to the beach?" <laughs> I was like, "I'm gonna kill you!"
0: <laughs> but you All know. Right. I think we got the point and trust me, I was laughing because I know that we've all been there at some point Well, they're working, they think that we're having over the time of our life when partners usually take care of the settlement of the family and finding the right doctors and opening a bank account, getting internet. And it's great to see that even if you're a man, you go through that judgment and that feeling of frustration that, oh my God, how can you not get it? <laughs> so don't worry, Fabio, you're not alone. We're there. <laughs> but thank you so much, Fabio. It was so powerful thank and you nothing know. but great insights. Before I say goodbye, is there one last quick message you want to share that you think we didn't cover and you really want to say?
1: If anyone is curious about anything or think that I could help them in any way, get in touch. I'm very happy to Fantastic. So thank
0: tell you. us where we can find you. Well, if you Google my name,
1: you'll see everything about me. <laughs> I have no secrets.
0: <laughs> so we'll go to Fabio Pavelli. You can see his YouTube channel and you have a Facebook page too. So, yes. so much great stuff. Thank you so much. And Nomad Nation, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You will find all the information on the show note page of this episode. And make sure if you're listening to this podcast episode on iTunes or any other app, make sure to subscribe to make sure to receive every new episode automatically on your phone. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode and stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities.